Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. And so, Advent begins. It's going to be a full five-week journey to Christmas this year because, in case you didn't know, Christmas is on a Sunday. (laughs) So we got five weeks until Christmas, four weeks of Advent, and then Christmas Day. Yes, we will have our annual Christmas Eve service that's so popular at 4, 6, and 8. But then we come back here on Christmas Day, and uh, it'll probably be a pretty short service. (laughs) But uh, we will gather at 10 a.m. on Christmas Day. And between, well, in our journey through Advent and then into Christmas and then the 12 days of Christmas up to Epiphany, I'm going to be preaching on the anticipated Christ. I wrote that devotional on the anticipated Christ. And so what I'm going to do For the next six weeks, maybe seven, but certainly for the next six weeks, I'm going to preach, I'm going to turn the the Sunday meditation in the anticipated Christ. You know, it only takes like two or three minutes to read it. I'm going to expand it into a full sermon for the next six Sundays. And then probably on January 8th, I'll reach back to Epiphany on January 6th and also turn that one. So it'll probably be seven weeks in the anticipated Christ. And so we begin today, and the first meditation, and thus my sermon today, is the proto-gospel. And so where do we start today? Well, let's just start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The cosmos has its beginning in God. The one in whom there is no darkness at all. The one who is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. Why does God bother to create? Because God is love seeking expression. That's why God bothers to create because God is love seeking expression. And so God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And it goes all the way through that first chapter like that. God said, and then God saw that it was good. God said, let there be, and God saw that it was good. The point being that creation itself is all good. It comes from the gratuity of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, and it's all good. And so what do we say about evil? Because that's a reality, we don't deny that. That evil is parasitical in nature. It is not not a part of God's creation. Rather, it is a disturbance within God's good creation. It's a tear in the fabric of goodness. It's a hole. It's a void. It's something that tends toward non-being. And, best of all, it's temporal. It's not eternal. It doesn't come forth from God, so it's not eternal. It's temporal. That's the nature of evil. Now in Genesis 1, the first chapter, which is the first creation account, uh, you have humankind created at the end of the sixth day. 
On the sixth day, you have the beasts that are also created. But the end of the sixth day, God says, let us make Adam, Adam, mankind, humankind, in our image according to our likeness. And so in, in Genesis 1, there's a sense in which um, the creation of the human in the image and likeness of God is, is the grand finale, the zenith. The, the, the culmination of God's creative endeavors. Here is, here is a being who is to be like God and is to be comprised both of the dust of the earth and the breath of God. Then in Genesis 2, we find a second creation account. And it differs. Understand these are theologically motivated, not scientific. This is not where we're doing our science. This is where we're doing theology. In Genesis 1, it's, it's uh, Adonai. Adonai, translated God, usually, Adonai. In, in Genesis 2, you have a different account coming from the southern tribes, Yahweh. And humankind in Genesis 2 is created before the plants and animals. Oh, yeah, that's just, just read your Bible. It's in there. Just understand that you have two accounts. That will make sense. And so before God creates plants and animals in Genesis 2, he creates humankind. And then Adam is invited to participate with God by naming the animals. You've, you've read that part. And so in both accounts, there is a special privilege or preeminence place for the human creation. Whether, whether, whether we understand human creation as the, the zenith of God's creative endeavors in Genesis 1, or God as the firstborn who participates with God, as it is in Genesis 2. And so in both accounts, uh, humankind is given a special preeminence. But then we get to chapter 3. We're not very far into the Bible. And we get to chapter 3, and something goes wrong. Something goes horribly wrong. Something goes catastrophically wrong. In theology, we call it the fall. I think it's the one bit of theology almost everybody, everybody can agree on. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong and the, and, and the wrongness is centered in human beings. Something has gone wrong. I mean, what's wrong with the world isn't the animal kingdom. It's not the plant kingdom. It's human beings. Something has happened that has caused us to create now a world gone wrong. In the third chapter of Genesis, a serpent suddenly slithers into paradise. We're not told who the serpent is. We're not told how the serpent got there. It just appears. It just shows up. And this is no ordinary serpent. This is, this is a talking serpent. Don't, don't, don't literalize this and miss the point. Don't, don't okay, so, so the snakes were talking back then, huh? Look, I've never met a talking serpent, but I have had all kinds of serpentine thoughts crawl through my head. St. Augustine said it this way, the serpent entered paradise spiritually and not bodily. I think that's true. Yeah. The serpent entered the Garden of Eden as a tempter, but as a very subtle tempter. At the core of the serpent's temptation is the promise to be like God. Now, this is interesting, though. At the core of the serpent's temptation of Adam and Eve is the enticement. You'll be like God. 
And yet, this is what God intends for humankind from the beginning. Let us make man, humankind, Adam, in our image according to our likeness. Let's create a being that will be like us. And so God has already said, human beings, I want you to be like me. But then the serpent comes and says, uh, do what I'm suggesting and you will be like God. You see how subtle this is. Well, the devil's temptation. Oh, I just let the cat out of the bag there. The identity of the serpent is identified much later in the Bible. In fact, at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we'll get there eventually. But the devil's temptation was the temptation to become like God apart from God. Ah, that's the distinction. The devil's temptation to humankind was to become like God apart from God. God's promise of theosis, deification, to become like God, is to become like God through union with God. That we might participate in the divine nature, as it says in 2 Peter 1.4. That's the promise, is that we come into union with God. We become like God by participating in and with God. The serpent's temptation was to become like God through knowledge apart from God. I have wrestled with kind of what are, the, what, are, what are the mechanics of the fall. I've wrestled with that for decades. I just feel like lately I've started to get a handle on it. It's, it's not easy. Knowledge is good. Uh, no, I'm going to be very clear. Knowledge is good in all of its branches. Scientific knowledge, historical knowledge, philosophical knowledge, on and on. Knowledge is good. I advocate getting as much as of it much of it as you can. There, there's no, lose your passion for dumbness. Let's, let's gain some knowledge. Knowledge is good in and of itself, but knowledge alone is not the path to theosis. Knowledge alone is not the path to becoming like God. Knowledge alone, apart from God, in fact, is the path to the fall. The fall is the result of attempting to become like God apart from God through knowledge alone. I, I want you to get that. The fall is the result of humankind attempting to become like God apart from God through knowledge alone. Human beings are clever. We are clever. We are Homo sapiens, it means, it means, you know, the, the wise animal. I don't know if we're wise, but we are clever. We can figure stuff out. As a species, we're very smart. But if we try to become like God, apart from God, through knowledge alone, it leads not to life, not to theosis, but to a catastrophic fall. With the fall, humankind did in fact become a kind of God. I'll grant you that. Um, I'll grant that much to the serpent that humankind did become a kind of God, but not a God like the creator God. Humankind became gods of death. So that the first son of Adam and Eve murders his brother, moves east of Eden, establishes the first city, 
And thus the pattern is established. And then when humankind, much, 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 much later, I mean, eons have gone by, when humankind, through knowledge, finally unlocked the secrets of the Adam, what was the first thing we did with this knowledge? Build an atomic bomb. That's the fall right there. As, as our knowledge, I mean, we're working with what Einstein has come to understand. And we're working with this. And we're really beginning to understand some of the basic fabric of the material world. And as we, as we unlock these mysteries, the first thought comes to our mind, we could build a really big bomb with this. We've come a long way from Cain's club. Instead of killing our brothers one at a time by whacking them on the head or whatever we're doing. Oh, now, we've, now we have used our knowledge. We can kill a whole city of brothers and sisters at one time. There is a direct link between Genesis 3 and a mushroom cloud over Hiroshima. In unlocking the fundamental physics of the universe through human knowledge and then harnessing this knowledge for the purpose of inflicting death on an unimaginable scale, we have again heard the serpent whisper, you will be like God. But is the capacity to be able to kill the whole planet actually becoming like God? The first test detonation of the atomic bomb on July 16th, 1945 was codenamed Trinity. Dear Lord, I can't make this stuff up. All right, I think we've, I think we figured out how to make a really, really big bomb. And we're going to have to test it out in the New Mexico desert. Let's give it a code name. We'll call it uh, Trinity. You shall be like God. When Robert Oppenheimer who led the project, witnessed that, that detonation and that mushroom cloud rising over the New Mexico desert. He was horrified at what he'd created. And he quoted a passage from the Bhagavad Gita where the Hindu god Vishnu says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. This is the fall stretching across the whole of human history. Attempting to become like God, apart from God, through knowledge alone, leads to Cain killing Abel, leads to the Manhattan Project, the Trinity Project, leads to nuclear weapons, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the threat still looms. This is the fall stretching across human history, and it begins very, very early in the big story the Bible tells. Holy Scripture is a sacred saga of more than a thousand pages. It's an epic drama. The Bible is not really an encyclopedia of God facts or a journal of divine jurisprudence. That's not really what it is. The Bible is essentially the grand story of God's ultimate triumph over evil. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what it ultimately is. 
Now, after the catastrophic fall in paradise, God enters the garden to utter weighty portents. This is the story we read in Genesis 3. Weighty portents. Humankind, now exiled from Eden, has a long, long journey ahead of it. A journey of struggle and pain, a journey that will end inevitably at a grave. See, it's, it's only through union with God that we obtain the immortality of theosis, not through knowledge alone. But in the dark prophecy spoken to the serpent, we find our first glimmer of hope. Come on, we need a glimmer of hope. Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If the serpent is the instigator of the fall, well, then there is hope found in this prophecy. Someday, we don't know when, an offspring of woman, we don't know who, will bruise the head of the serpent. Now, in the process of bruising, let's say crushing the head of the serpent, this mysterious offspring of the woman will be wounded in his heel. The prophecy is very faint, but in it we find a prospect of hope. Hope that someday a valiant, though wounded warrior will vanquish evil. This is the hope of Advent. We live in a world gone wrong. We live in a world where evil is a reality. But we hold to a hope that someday that will be overcome. That one will come that will defeat the serpent. Christian theology calls this foreshadowing in Genesis the proto-evangelium. It's a fancy word for the, the proto-gospel or more literally the first good news. The first, this is the first time in the Bible something approaching the gospel appears. Now, it's very faint. It's not exactly John 3, 16. We're, we're not told who's going to accomplish this or how it's going to happen, any of that. But read retrospectively in the light of Christ, we can see the gospel in Genesis 3, 15. And by the way, reading the Old Testament retrospectively in the light of Christ is the Christian way of reading the Old Testament. The second century theologian Irenaeus said this about Genesis 3.15. This can be read as a prefiguring of the victory of Christ over the devil. Amen. Of course, this is Genesis 3. This is, this is page 3 in my Bible. No, page 2 in my Bible. <laughs> page 2. There's like 1,100 pages. This is page 2. So there, there's, a, there's a long, long, long way to go before the offspring of the woman bruises the head of the serpent. And although Advent is about waiting, come on, today is Sunday, and I want to preach the gospel. <laughs> I want to preach some good news. Anybody need some good news? All right, so I know, I know, I know Advent is about waiting. I get that. It's true. 
but today is Sunday, and I want to preach the gospel. And so I'm going to cheat a little bit because I think it'd be good. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go all the way to the end of the Bible. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. Now, we're going to bypass a thousand pages. We're just going to skip right over Enoch and Noah. We're, just gonna, we're not even going to mention Abraham and the patriarchs. We're just blowing past David and the kings. Going just, just, just passing right over Elijah and all the prophets on our way to the apocalypse. But this is a long journey. And, be, and you know, because our journey to the apocalypse is so long, uh, we might need a, a, just a real quick rest stop. <laughs> it's a road trip. Sometimes you need a little break. Let's just stop off in Galatians for just a second. We're on our way to Revelation, but let's just stop in Galatians for just a moment because there's some good news here. There's something you want to see. All right, we're on our way to Revelation. Now we're all the way up to what page? 974. Page 974 in my Bible. Galatians 4.4. 4. You understand, there's a lot that happens between page 2 and page 974. But we're skipping over that. Okay. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons in the fullness of time. You know, we, we, can't, we can't date Adam. That's in the primordial past. We can, we can more or less date the setting for the story of Abraham. That's 2,000 years ago. So, I mean, the, the amount of time between Abraham and Christ is the same as between Christ and now. So, there's a lot of waiting. But finally, the time was right. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. A key component of faith is patience. We have to wait patiently on God. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what faith does. Faith just sort of waits. Faith just says, I, I don't see it yet, but I'm not giving up. I've been waiting, 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 I've been waiting. And I'm tempted to give up. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep the faith. And I'm going to believe that God will show up in the fullness of time. At the right time. That's a lot of what faith does. Faith, a lot of what faith does is just wait. So I don't have the answers. And, and, and it's, it's easy for you to feel like you're being mocked. Here I am sitting around waiting for God to work in my life and God to act in my life, God to show up in my life and nothing's happening. You know, there'll be voices that tell you that you're a fool, but you're not. You're just keeping faith. You're saying God will come. God will appear. God will show up. And by the way, there is grace given in the waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall do what? They'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of woman. Ah, yes, the prophecy said that the offspring of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. 
Jesus Christ is born of woman because he's fully human like you and me. Jesus has a mom. Jesus entered this life just like you and me. Jesus didn't borrow, you know, Elijah's fiery chariot and just swoop down. Here I am. No, he, he was born wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Jesus is born of woman because he is fully human. This is hard for a lot of people. We're tempted to think, well, you know, he's kind of like pretending. No, he's not pretending. He's not pretending to be human. He's as human as you and me. He's human. But Jesus isn't just born of a woman. He's born of a virgin. Ah, because Jesus isn't. See, man had nothing to do with it. Jesus comes into the world through a woman, through the spirit, but men have nothing to do with it. (laughs) Nothing to do with it. Jesus is born of woman because he's fully human, but he's born of a virgin because he's also fully God. Very God of very God. And this is the mystery of the incarnation. And I, I recommend during Advent that you lean into that mystery, that you meditate on that mystery, that you explore that mystery. Fully God, fully human. Fully God, but fully human. When he is born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swelling clothes and laid in that manger, he's fully God. But is he aware that he's fully God? Is Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger? Go, here I am, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Fully God. Hypostatic union, you know. But I can't even walk or talk. No, I don't think he has any more self-awareness than any of us at birth. But he grows into it. He grows into it. By the time he's 12, he can say mysterious things like, I must be about my father's business. Hmm. And so the one who walks on the water also sits weary at the well of Sychar. Fully God, walking on water, fully human. Oh, I'm worn out. It's a great mystery. Maybe the greatest of all, the mystery of the incarnation, that the word became flesh. And it says that Christ came into the world to redeem us and adopt us as the children of God. That is to bring us home. Remember the story in Genesis 3 is that there's an exile banished from the garden. We've lost the garden. We can't go back. We can't go back. But now we can. Because Jesus comes to redeem us and through Christ we are adopted as the children of God. We recover our first estate. We can come home. We're all the prodigal sons and daughters and we can come home now because of Christ. This is Jesus crushing the serpent's head and undoing the work of the devil. But Jesus has to be wounded in the process so that he can enter into death to rescue us, right? In his humanity, Christ can die so that he can go down into death and undo death. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we behold him as he is. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. All right. That was our little, that was our little stop there. A little rest stop in Galatians. Now let's go all the way to Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. How ancient? Genesis 3, ancient. Now we know who this serpent is. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. All right, now we know who this serpent is. This ancient serpent who crawled into Eden. It's the devil. It comes from the Greek, diabolos, means accuser. Satan comes from the Hebrew, hasatan, means accuser. They're just two different language sources for the same meaning, the accuser. But the devil has been, you know, the, de the, first, the first time we encounter the serpent, he's, he's very subtly, kind of passive-aggressively, Accusing God. Has God said that you can't eat from any of the trees? Well, no, that's not exactly what he said. I don't know that he has your best interest in mind. I, I, think, I think he's holding back on you. Uh -huh. Accusing God. But this devil has been thrown down by what Christ has done. And... Uh, it, this passage ends with telling us that his time is short because evil is temporal, not eternal. I know I keep announcing this, but I think it's good news. I want you to really get a hold of that. Evil is real, but it's temporal. It's not eternal. It doesn't last forever. The devil's mad because the devil knows evil won't always exist. Time is short. It's temporal. It's limited. Jesus Christ has conquered the devil for this Purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And by our participation in the blood of Christ and through our confession of faith, we too can overcome the accuser. We don't have to play the devil's game of using blame to achieve a false peace. That's the devil's game. Something bad happens to us. Something comes into our life we don't like. Something brings us pain and we have this impulse. Who can I blame? That'll make me feel better if I can blame someone else. You see it in Genesis 3. Immediately after the fall, Adam and Eve began the blame game. But, the, but Jesus ends all that. Jesus brings that because, listen, Jesus took all the blame. He's the innocent one, but he took all the blame and he took it down into death, down into Hades, down into Sheol, down into hell and left it there. So when we start playing the blame game, we have to go to hell because <laughs> that's where blame is. 
Jesus took all the blame, took it to hell, left it there. Don't go to hell trying to find blame so that you can play the devil's game and accuse your brother or sister to make yourself feel better. We don't need to do that. And best of all, best of all, we've been liberated from the fear of death. For it is not death that awaits us at the end of this life, but our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we come to the end of this life, there is the phenomenon that those that witness it will call death. But for us, it's encountering Christ. I mean, on Monday, I stood at the graveside of my mother. And this is where I find faith. This is where I find hope. This is where I find comfort. That death is not the end. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When Jesus' heels were nailed to the cross, Jesus trampled down death by death. And by his wounds we are healed. Amen. Stand with me. And let's pray. Creator God. As we enter the season of Advent, may our hearts cultivate the blessed hope that your goodness, O God, is infinite and eternal, while evil and death are but finite and temporal. May we hold to the gospel hope that the triumph of the seed of the woman, that through the triumph of the seed of the woman, evil and death meet their demise. Amen and amen. Let's confess our Christian faith confess our sins and receive forgiveness and come to the table of the Lord. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in our confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.